heart is overwhelmed, if my heart is overwhelmed, and I cannot hear your voice, hold on to what is true.
this morning. Just lay your burdens down before him. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails. He won't fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God is never late. He's working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I same God that never fails. He won't fail me now. He won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out.
God, I just want to lift you up. Just give back what you've given to me. Hear our voices this morning as we just sing to you and cry out. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath. In our lungs, so we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. And great are you, Lord. You give life, you give life. You are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. And great are you, Lord, it's your It's your breath in our lungs, 
Christ my sanity Sweet Jesus Christ my clarity Bread of heaven broken for me Come of salvation held out to drink Jesus Christ has died and Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Christ has died and Christ is risen, and Christ will come Sweet Jesus Christ, my sanity. Sweet Jesus Christ, my clarity. Bread of heaven broken for me. Cup of salvation. Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. Christ has died and Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Just worship him right now.
celebrate his death and rising. Celebrate his death and rising. Lift your eyes, proclaim he's coming. Celebrate his death and rising. Lift your eyes, lift your eyes. Celebrate his death and rising. Lift your eyes, proclaim he's coming. Celebrate his death and rising. Lift your eyes, lift your eyes. Celebrate his death and rising. Lift your eyes, proclaim he's coming. Celebrate his death and rising. Lift your eyes, lift your eyes. Christ has died and Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ has died and Christ is risen. Christ will come. Christ, my sinner, good morning. It's awful quiet in here today. Good to see all of you today. As Shane said, we're going to be looking at Esther chapter 6. So if you would uh, get your Bibles open to Esther chapter 6. Now, we've been in a series of messages looking at the book of Esther entitled, For Such a Time as This. And we have looked at how God is using Esther in her role as queen to help protect God's people during that day. And we have seen and we will see how God uses ordinary people to accomplish his purpose and his plan. And I don't know about you, but that kind of gets me a little bit excited to think that God can use ordinary, everyday people to accomplish the great plans that he has. That means that he can use me, he can use you, he can use all of us in this day that we live in, in such a time as this. But the question is, how can he use us, or in what way does he want to use us in our world today? Now, as we look at Esther chapter 6 today, we're going to be talking about conviction. And we're going to talk about how conviction matters in our life. Now, last week, Shane talked about a line that has been drawn. And this line did not begin in the, the book of Esther. This line began way back at the fall of Satan. And this line is a line that is of good and of evil. And we are on either one side of the line or the other. You're either on God's side of the line or you're on the evil side of the line. And as Shane did a great job pointing out, even a person who lives a very good life, who's a very good person, if they don't know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, then they are on 
the evil side of the line. It's once we come to know Christ as our personal Lord and Savior that we move to the good side or God's side of the line. Now, in our world today, we see this line that has been drawn. It's becoming more and more clear every day of the side of the line that different people are on. We see this in the different issues that we face. We see this in the things that are going on around us in our world today. I was watching this last week as, uh, you know, the Supreme Court nominee that's been brought up. And every time an issue like that comes up, we can really see where different people stand and the different thoughts that they have. And I listened to the arguments of the fors and the against. And it was obvious that there's a distinct side of the line that has been drawn between what we call conservatives and liberals. And let me just say this today to, to get this out. We're not going to get into the political stuff today. But if you're a conservative and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, can I point out again that you're still on the wrong side of the line that we're talking about? If you're a liberal and you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, well, we'll talk about that later. I said I wasn't going to go there, so I'm not going to go there today. So the problem is that each side of the line believes that they are the ones that are right. Right? I'm going to prove it to you this morning. So we're going to take this aisleway right here, and this is the line. So you're on one side of the line, you're on the other side of the line. Now, by raising your hand, let me know which one of you think that you're on the right side of the line. Would you raise your hand? Well, I knew some over here would. So, so here's the thing. We draw the line. I say, are you on the right side? Well, you're over here. You're looking at me, so that's on the right, right? So you're on the right side. But I'm looking at you, and you're looking at me, and I say, if you're on the right side of the line, which hand did I hold up? Right. So you're on my right, right? Right? You're getting it? Which one's right? Well, that's what we're going to figure out today of how to know whether we're on the right side of the line or the wrong side of the line. How do we know by our convictions if our convictions are right or if they are the wrong kind of convictions? So we're going to focus on two individuals that we have seen throughout the book of Esther. Now these two individuals uh, are standing on different sides of the line or on opposite sides of the line. And you've heard the name all throughout this series. The first one is by the name of Haman. The other is the name Mordecai. Two, uh, two different individuals, each on opposite sides of the line. So as we begin today, let's look at chapter 6 of the book of Esther. It says, that night, I want to stop right there. We went a long way, didn't we? That night lets us know that something is changing. This is where the book of Esther really makes a turn, and we're going to see that today, and we're going to see that next week. But the book of Esther begins to take a turn right here. That night, sleep escaped the king. So he ordered the book, recording daily events, to be brought and read to the king. They found the written report of how Mordecai had informed on Bithana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the entrance when they planned to assassinate King Azarus. The king inquired, what honor and special recognition have been given to Mordecai for this act? The king's personal attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. And the king asked, who is in the court? 
Now Haman was just entering the outer court of the palace to ask the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows he had prepared for him. The king's attendants answered him, Haman is there standing in the court. Have him enter. The king ordered. Haman entered and the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king wants to honor? Haman thought to himself, who is it that the king would want to honor more than me? Haman told the king, for the man the king wants to honor, have them bring a royal garment that the king himself has worn and a horse the king himself has ridden, which has a royal crown on its head. Put the garment and the horse under the charge of one of the king's most noble officials. Have them clothe the man the king wants to honor. Parade him on the horse through the city square and proclaim before him, this is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. The king told Haman, hurry and do just as you proposed. Take a garment and a horse for Mordecai the Jew, who is sitting at the king's gate. Do not leave out anything you have suggested. So Haman took the garment and the horse. He clothed Mordecai and paraded him through the city square, crying out before him, This is what is done for the man the king wants to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. But Haman hurried off for home, mournful and with his head covered. Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai is Jewish and you have begun to fall before him, you won't overcome him because your downfall is certain. While they were still speaking with him, the king's units arrived and rushed Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. That night, things begin to change. That night is a turning point. That night, something is going to be different. Now remember what has taken place in chapter 2, Esther becomes queen. In chapter 3, Haman is given a promotion and he is made as one of the heads of the kingdom. And since he was in this head position, in this head official position in the kingdom, any time that he would come and he would go, then those that were at the gates that were guarding the gates would bow down before him. And those that would bow down before him, those other officials, would also encourage the ones that were outside the gate to bow down. Because this is a very important individual in the kingdom. So you need to bow down to him as well. But there was one who refused to bow down. This one by the name of Mordecai refused to bow down to the king. He refused to take that place and kneel before anybody besides his God. It says in there that he did not bow down because he was a Jew. So I'm sure in his mind he thought that since I'm a Jew, the only one I will bow down to is God. And he refused. Well, this made Haman very upset. And instead of punishing just Mordecai for his disobedience, if you would, he decided that he would punish the entire Jews. All of them would have to die because of what this one man was refusing to do. And what that shows us is that in the heart of Haman, a line had been drawn. In the heart of Haman, way back prior to this, something had been placed in his heart that caused him to hate the people of God. 
that caused him to not like any of the Jews, God's chosen people, and to have something against them. And this just became an opportunity for him to take out God's people. A line had been drawn. A line had been drawn against good and evil. A line that has been there again since the fall of Satan. A line, and which side of the line would he be on? Haman chose to be on the side of evil. Keep in mind that we are, what we are reading here in chapter 6 is taking place five years after Esther has become king. So there's been a, a long time period in here that has gone on. A long time for this hatred to build up and, and this time for Haman to just let this hatred for the Jews and this hatred for Mordecai to continue to build in his life. And so he decided he was going to go ahead and hang Mordecai. Gallows were built. The hanging was getting ready. But the only problem is, is Haman hadn't told the king this yet. So now the king can't sleep. It's in the middle of the night. The king is having a hard time sleeping. So the king says, hey, bring in the records. I want the records read to me. Now keep in mind that the kings in that day would keep very detailed records of everything that was happening in the kingdom. He's been king for 12 years. So you can imagine the records that were brought in. I can see him getting out their carts and their dollies and they're wheeling in all these records. And he says, read something to me. And out of all the records that they have, they chose the story that takes place, the end of chapter 2, where Mordecai, here's a couple of the king's men at the gate talking about killing the king. So he does the right thing. He passes the word on to Esther and he says, hey, there's a plot. They're going to try to take out the king. And Esther goes to the king and he says, here's what's happening. And she lets the king know that I got this from Mordecai. Mordecai stands out at the gate every day and he has heard what they're getting ready to do. And this saved the king's life. And the king realizes at this moment that nothing had been done for Mordecai for saving his life. What should be done for the man that enters or that saves the king's life and enters Haman? Haman comes in. He's, I can just see Haman prancing in. This is going to be a great day for Haman. He's finally going to get the opportunity to take Mordecai out. And he's marching into the king to let the king know, King, today is the day that Mordecai is going to die. We built these large gallows out here in the courtyard, and we're going to bring him in, and we're all going to be able to watch Mordecai as he is hung. But before he could say a word, the king looks at Haman and he says, Haman, let me ask you, what should the king do for somebody that he wants to honor? For somebody that he wants to elevate, what should the king do? And Haman, in his pride and with his big ego, assumes that the king is talking about him. So he says, well, if you want to honor somebody like this, then here's what you do. Give him your best robe that you have already worn. Get your finest horse and decorate him up. And, and let this man be marched into the kingdom or where everybody can see as he is lifted up. And elevate him to a place of importance in the kingdom. And by the way, Haman is already at the top of that list of place importance in the kingdom. And he's saying, so create another position where 
He's even higher than what I am right now. The pride, the ego that he had was creating a problem for him. I want to just make this statement before we really get into talking about our convictions is we got to be very careful that we don't let our pride determine what our convictions are going to be. We don't need to let our pride get in the way of how we need to stand, how we need to live. But so many times, pride creeps in. What was the pride of Haman? He felt so good about himself, thought so highly of himself that he thought he needed to be elevated above all. So the king listens to Haman. And I've said it, and I'll say it again, things are beginning to turn. Not the way we expect things to turn all the, all the time, but remember, God is in control. And when we look at our world today and we see all the things that are going on, that is such great news for us today to know that God is in control and that any minute he can turn things around. Any moment things can be different than the way they are right now. So the king looks at Haman and he says, do exactly what you have said and don't leave anything out. And by the way, this isn't for you. This is for Mordecai. So go get everything prepared and you go out and get Mordecai. And the story is that he, the one that wanted to kill Mordecai, the enemy of Mordecai, the story turns and he goes and he is the one that is leading Mordecai through the kingdom, elevated higher than what he has been elevated. Isn't it amazing how things can change, how things can turn? Isn't it amazing how things can look different in just a quick moment. Now, the first thing that we need to consider today when we're talking about convictions is what the word conviction means. Conviction is very simply a firmly held belief or opinion. A firmly held belief or opinion. You see, there's, there's so much more that we could talk about in this passage today, but when it comes to the conviction of these two men, we see how their lives are totally different. And the reason that their lives are totally different is because of the firmly held beliefs and convictions that each one had. Now, there are two types of convictions that we're going to look at today. The first type of conviction is what we would call worldly conviction. The second type is what we will call godly or biblical conviction. Now, worldly conviction would be any conviction that comes from any other source than what we find in God's Word. Worldly conviction is a conviction that can come from our parents. We get convictions from our parents as we're raised and we grow up and, and they teach us how to live things that we should do that are right and wrong, and they're not necessarily bad, they're not always good, but those convictions that are there, we get from our parents. Some of them we get not by what they say, but just by watching how they live and how they react in life. We get our convictions from our friends. That's why it's very important to pay attention to who we're hanging around and who we're listening to. We'll talk about that in a moment. But sometimes our friends help us in our convictions, whether right or wrong. Our education, things that we read. Unfortunately, many people's convictions come from social media. If it's on Facebook, it must be what? 
true, right? It's got to be true if it was on Facebook. They said it. How many times have you had to correct somebody or thought you should correct somebody by something you saw them post on Facebook going, that is absolutely not true? It happens every day. Or what about Twitter? Well, Twitter's better than Facebook, okay? So if it comes out on Twitter, you can believe it. It is absolute truth. You can stand on it. Ridiculous, right? We know it is. We sit, we sit in here and I see you shaking your head. No, that's not true. It's not. It is ridiculous, but we will believe it as the gospel as long as it goes along with what we think our convictions should be or what we think our beliefs should be. If it ties in with that somehow, we will take that and we will run with it as fast and as far as we can, no matter if it's a lie or not. That's where our convictions come from. But then there's the biblical conviction. Biblical conviction comes first from the Word of God. It is what we read in God's Word. Now, I want you to understand, it is not what man says about God's Word. It's certainly not the world, what the world says about God's Word, but it is what God says about His Word. That is what's truth. That is what we can stand on. And by the way, His Word never changes. And you will hear people debating, saying, well, the stuff we read in the Old Testament, this stuff that we're reading in Esther, that was good back in Esther's day, but that doesn't apply to our day. No, our God is still the same today as he was yesterday. And he will be the same tomorrow as he will be for all of eternity. He never changes. His word never changes. And his word that was good in Genesis is good all the way through the book of Revelation. And I'll go even farther. I believe the maps as well. If it's in God's word, now that going a little bit far, but we can trust his word and we can believe his word. And that's where our conviction needs to come from. And if it's coming from anywhere else, no matter how good it may be, if it doesn't line up with God's word, it's not right. It needs to line up with God's word. It needs to match what God tells us and how God tells us that we need to live. God's word is his written roadmap given to us so that we may know how to live this life that he has called us to live. That is why the psalmist wrote in Psalms 119.11, Your word I have hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against you. I hide his word in my heart that I may know his word that when challenging times come, I will know which side of the line to stand on. I hide his word in my heart so I will know which path that I need to take so that I will not sin against him. And in verse 16, he says, I will delight myself in your statues. I will not forget your word. What does it mean I will delight myself? I will enjoy studying your word. I will enjoy knowing what your statutes are. I will enjoy applying them to my life. Let me ask you this. How much do you enjoy studying God's word? I'm not talking Sunday morning. I'm talking during the week. How many times during the week do you just open up God's word to see what his word has to say? Studying his word, getting to know his word, hiding his word in your heart so that when that day comes, you will not sin against him. And then in verse 105, he goes on to say that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. His word guides us. His word shows us how we need to live. His word gives us direction so we will know what our convictions need to be. His word is so important. Wondering where to stand on the issue of abortion that's in our face every day? 
How about Psalms 119.13? This says, the psalmist said, For it was you who created my inward parts. It was you who knit me together in my mother's womb. In Isaiah 44.24, we read, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Two different passages right there. God saying, I created you in the womb. Question asked, question answered. Do we wonder where babies come from? Do we wonder where we came from? We can go back to God's word and know his truth. God says that I am the one who formed you. There are some that will say, but the baby is not life until it is born. And I love what we read in Luke chapter 1, verses 41 through 44. We see Mary who is pregnant with Jesus and she's talking to her cousin who is pregnant with John the Baptist. And Mary tells Elizabeth the good news and Elizabeth said her baby leapt for joy inside the womb, hearing that the Savior was coming. The Savior of the world is coming, and that baby in the womb leapt. Now, I don't know about you, but for a baby to be able to leap, that means that baby has to be alive. God's Word gives us direction, gives us conviction on to know where to stand on the issues that we face today. You want to know where to stand on this gender issue stuff that is just blowing my mind, the things that they're coming up with today. Just start with Genesis 127 that says that God created them male and female. How come we cannot live the way that God created us to live? I don't understand. But I know where my convictions are and I know where my convictions come from and they come from the word of God. There's the big debate that I can choose to do whatever I want to do. I can live however I want to live and it does not matter one way or another. But let me say this, for the Christian, it does matter. For the believer, it matters greatly. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price so glorify God in your body. That price by which you were bought was the price that Christ paid on the cross when he died for you and he died for me. It matters as believers how we live our life. It matters as believers the conviction we have because we are no longer our own. We've been bought with a great price. Christ laying down his very life, taking our place on that cross and dying for us. Therefore, it's something that we should not take lightly. Now, these are just a couple of the issues that we face today. But the point is, our biblical conviction is found in God's Word. And God's Word is our roadmap to life. And God's Word gives us direction, even in this crazy world that we live in today. And we say, but oh, these things have never been faced before. Let me remind you that there is nothing new under the sun. And God's word has an answer for everything that we face today. His word is a roadmap to our life. His word is our direction for our life. And it is in his word where we find our convictions of how to live life each day. 
but our godly conviction, our biblical conviction, also comes from the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us in our lives. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11, tells us that as believers, as followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us to empower us, to speak to us, to guide us, to give us direction in life. It's the Holy Spirit inside of us that helps us to understand the scriptures that we read, to understand what God's Word says and how to live that out in our life. Now, Christ, before he ascended into heaven, told his followers, his believers, that I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you here alone. I'm leaving you with a helper, a helper that's going to guide you. And that helper is the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, the Holy Spirit that speaks to us. And let me just say this. As the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us in our life, the Spirit will never contradict God's Word, ever. So if you have that small voice inside of you that's leading you in one direction or another and it does not line up with God's Word, do not listen to that voice. Do not listen. We've got all kinds of voices around us. I mentioned some of them. We've got family. We've got friends. We've got parents. We've got all the social media. We've got the news. And we think that our news station is the right news station and everybody else's is wrong. Let me tell you, none of them have this stuff figured out. God's Word does. The Spirit inside of us does. And that's the voice that we listen to. And if the other voices do not line up with what God's Word says, then we need to run from those voices. We need to avoid them. Be very careful and remember that God's Word is truth. And we can stand on His Word. And when we're standing on His Word, we know that we are standing in truth. And that means that we are standing on the correct side of the line. But I want you to understand that standing is not easy. Standing on godly convictions is not easy. Jesus said, the world hates me. And when you follow me, the world's going to hate you as well. Standing on God's word and God's truth, God's conviction, you're going to be hated. I promise you. Now we live in, a, in what I consider still a great place. Still a lot of Christian people around, a lot of people that believe in God's word. But even in the area we live in, there'll be some that will not like you for standing on God's word and God's truth. Because there's a line that's been drawn, and that line is a line of good and evil that goes all the way back from the beginning. And the enemy does not like it when you're on the opposite side of the line, and attacks will come. I want you to also notice today that conviction is a motivator. Conviction is a motivator. Now, we need to understand this. Conviction is stronger than belief. Conviction is much stronger than belief. We have our beliefs. Matter of fact, if I were to ask, I'm not going to, don't want to embarrass anybody, but how many of you believe the entire Bible from cover to cover? Most of us in here would probably say, I do. But there's one thing about believing it and living it. We can have strong beliefs, but if we don't have the strong convictions to go along with it, we will not live it out in our life when things get hard. A conviction is a belief so strong that it governs your decision in such a way that you're willing to die for it. 
A belief is something we are willing to live for, but a conviction is something we're willing to die for. Do you see the difference? A conviction much stronger than a belief. And this conviction can go either way for good or bad. Haman had such a strong conviction that the Jews must die. And he was willing to live for that. He was willing to probably die for that because his conviction was so strong. And he motivated others to believe the same way. Mordecai had a strong conviction concerning the Jewish beliefs and he was a motivator to Queen Esther and probably others around him that we don't read about in this story. A motivator to those to make the right decisions, the godly decisions in their life. We see this in the lives of the disciples as well. The disciples lived with Christ. They walked with Christ. They experienced the miracles of Christ. And they had a strong belief in their life. Matter of fact, their belief was so strong that they went as far to say, we will follow you anywhere that you go. We will even follow you to the cross. And Christ looked at them and said, you don't even have a clue what that means. You don't even understand. And they said, oh, we're with you. Then the arrest of Christ comes. The trial comes. The beating comes. The crucifixion comes. Where were the disciples? They were out hiding. They were staying far enough away where they might be able to see what's going on, but not close enough to get caught themselves. Oh, they had strong belief, but they were willing to live for, but they didn't have a strong enough conviction that they were willing to die for. As a matter of fact, Peter, one of the most vocal who said, I will follow you anywhere, denied Christ three times. Then something changed. Christ died, was buried. Three days later, he rose again, and he went to the disciples. And something changed. When those disciples saw the risen Lord and Savior, when they looked and they saw the, the nail prints in his hand, they saw the scar in his side, they went from believing to having a strong conviction that they were willing to give up their very life for. It went from belief to conviction. And the same thing happens to us when we see the risen Lord and Savior. When we see what our Christ has done for us. And then we will become motivators for others just like the disciples did. You want to know how well the disciples were at motivating others to follow Christ? We're here today because of that. They were great motivators because their belief turned to conviction. And the same is true with us. How well are we motivating others to follow Christ and to live for Christ? So, very quickly, how can I have this kind of conviction in my life? This godly conviction, how can I have this in my life? Well, the first thing is this. We need to take God seriously. We need to take God seriously. To take God seriously means that we must understand who God is. We must understand that God, the creator of the universe, the almighty God that is out there, is holy, is just, and is righteous. And with this understanding and really recognizing who God is and truly believing who God is, we began to realize the importance of living for him. I think for some of us, I know sometimes for me, this becomes difficult because sometimes it just seems like God is, 
is so far from us. You know, the creator of the universe that is, that is way out there somewhere who created all things. And sometimes we forget that God is not a God that is way out there, but a God is a God who is right here with us in our midst. He is right here with us. He is close enough for us to reach out and touch that we know his presence. And we take him seriously. And when we begin to take him seriously, we will take his word seriously. You want to know how, God, how well you're doing at taking God seriously? Look at your life every week. How important is God's word to your life? How important is it that you study his word, that you know his word? Did you know that it's through reading his word that we understand God more and that we learn to love God more and we recognize more and more who God is? So important for us to do that. And if if his word is not important in our life, then I would say that he is probably not as important in your life as what he should be. And you're probably not taking him as seriously as you should. When we begin to take God seriously, not only will his word become important to us, but sin will also be taken seriously. And I've got to confess, too, there's times that I don't take sin near as seriously as I should. You know, we look at other people's lives and we say, man, that's horrible what they're doing. Look how bad they are. I'm talking about looking in our own life and taking the sin in our own life seriously. Taking the sin in our own life, even if it may be something small, something that, that we don't think is a big deal. All sin to God is a big deal because it is that sin that separates us from him. Then we also need to choose our relationships wisely. Proverbs 13.20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. That always explains why... I was in trouble. It wasn't with me. It was the fools I was running around with. Kept getting me in trouble, right? Walk with the wise and be wise. What's he talking about? How does that apply to us? Man, we need to surround ourselves with other godly people who are living out what God's word says, who are standing with godly convictions, not what the rest of the world is standing on, not following the ways of the world, but following God's ways, which are by the way, much higher than our ways. And then change your focus. Romans chapter 2, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Do not be conformed to this world or the things of this world. Listen. People are wanting us every day to just take a little bit, step closer to that line to say that maybe this is okay. Or you can live however you want to live and that doesn't bother us. We'll just stand over here and remain silent and stay to ourselves. That's what they want. But that's not what God wants. Our conviction matters. Conviction matters so that we will know that we are standing on God's side of the line, standing with him. And as long as we are standing with him, then guess what? Nothing else matters. Which side of the line are you on today? Are you on God's side of the line? Are you on Satan's side of the line? I mentioned that God uses people, ordinary people. Shane mentioned this last week too. Satan also uses ordinary people 
everyday people, good people. They're just on the wrong side of the line. Which side of the line are you on? To be on God's side of the line, you must know him personally. And the way that you know him is by receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. The one who said there's no other way to the Father except through me. He could have said there's no other way to the other side of the line except through me. There's no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. Do you know him personally today? Is he the Lord and Savior of your life? That's where it begins. And then are you following his word? Are you trusting him? Are you listening to the Spirit as the Spirit leads? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you today for this time of studying your word together. And I pray that you would just use your word today to speak to our hearts. God, show us where we stand today. God, help us not to uh, live our lives with just a, a belief that we're willing to live for. But God, help us to live with a conviction that we're willing to die for because we know that it is your truth and it is your word. God, I pray today for each person that's here that if someone is on the wrong side of that line that we have talked about, that God, today you would just speak to their heart and you would draw them unto yourself. That today would be the day of salvation for them. And God, as believers, help us to know where to stand and help us to stand with conviction each and every day. In Christ's name I pray, amen.